Hey, everybody, it's Pete. I just finished editing this week's conversation, and I have to tell you, it hit me where it hurts. You know, that place in the solar plexus that goes kind of hollow when someone outs you effectively as having been lying to yourself. That's, that's the place. This week, Dodge and Victoria Castle are continuing their conversation on her book, The Trance of Scarcity, with a special focus on the cycle of abundance, building a routine of breaking out of the trance and focusing instead on myriad possibility around us. I tend to be wired a bit more conservatively when it comes to these kinds of conversations, so it's easy for me to take the critic's perspective and start poking around at them. What this show has demonstrated time and again is that this poking behavior is usually rooted in fear and, to take Victoria's word, arrogance. But that veil of fear and arrogance breaks down when confronted with a few things they discussed this week. You should be on the lookout if you're wired like me. Generosity costs you nothing. You don't have to tithe to be generous. Sometimes an act of generosity is a simple wish of goodwill toward others offered when they least expect it. And that might be enough to spark a practice of grace for yourself. Once more, you can find Victoria's book, Where Books Are Sold, linked to the Amazon page in the show notes below. But please, support your local booksellers if you're able. And if you haven't done it yet, there are things in the works around the trance. And while they're not quite ready, if you'd like to hear more about what's coming up from Victoria and Victoria and Dodge in whatever form it may take, please visit truestory.fm slash trance and leave your name. I promise I won't sell your information, but I will let you know as soon as we have something new out there in the world you might be interested in. Thanks for coming back for part two. Our usual Afterthoughts episode is coming next week. We hope you enjoy this continued conversation with Victoria Castle and Dodge Ray. loved our first conversation. And for any of you out there listening who did not hear the first half of our talk on the trance of scarcity, which aired last week, please start there. And for everyone who has heard that, let me hit a couple of those highlights to remind you what we've covered so you're back up to full speed as we jump into the next piece. So in our first conversation, Victoria helped us to understand what she calls state, a combination of our stories, that is how we orient ourselves to the world, and our somas or bodies, and that how we inhabit ourselves. And the result, far too pervasively and tragically in our culture, is what she calls the trance of scarcity. It's this unexamined predisposition that lack, struggle, and separation are our defining reality. And we started to kind of work on, how do I meet myself where I am with some compassion and at least begin to come back to center? How do I at least break the trance which I, and I loved where we ended. We just started to say this for a minute, Victoria, before we started. I said, I loved where we ended last time because there was some compassion in it. And without it, in my experience, there is no meeting where you are. And without meeting where you are, you're certainly not going to get to where you want to be. 
So we started to work on how do you center from there. And today we're going to talk about the opposite of the trance of scarcity, which you've called the cycle of abundance. And I'd encourage everybody to go to see the graphic if you don't already have this book. Um, and if you don't have this book, you need to have this book. I'm telling you, this is a book you need to have. As much as we can cover here, you, you just can't, you can't cover what's in this beautifully written and edited piece of work. Um, but if you could go to the show notes and look at just the graphic of the cycle of abundance, where you'll get to see kind of this circle we work our way around as we move from aligning and attracting to receiving and gratitude to generosity and giving. And it'll help you a little bit as you follow. Um, all right, so Victoria, let's jump into this. How would you like to start? Do you want to give us kind of just a quick synopsis of each of these six, or should we just jump into aligning and attracting and start there? Uh, I think I'll, I'll take just a moment to kind of orient because it's a different way of looking. Uh, you know, giving and receiving are like on parallel lines. One goes out, one comes in, and that's the end of the story. But like, not really. <laughs> if we right. let them just flow what's in between those states and why is it worth even noticing what state or, or what stage of the cycle I'm in and what's available there because all of them are rich and offer opportunities to come back in and if I've wandered off to see oh yeah I don't need to do that I can come back so also for me there's something so delicious about staying in the flow versus seeing it as two lanes going in different directions that too that it limits too much the possibilities of what happens here so by just stretching them out a little more and then going oh they're actually phases so if i feel like i'm really out of touch with giving and receiving and being in the flow i can see the easy place for me to go in and I don't have to work as hard. And I'm, I'm a big fan of not working harder than we have to. <laughs> you make the wonderful statement in the first half of the book that um, it has become your your life's work is devoted to interrupting struggle wherever you may find it. <laughs> I just love that. I was like, oh, my God, we need more people doing that in the world. <laughs> yeah, well, and the other one that I'm fond of saying is if struggling was the way to get there, we'd all be there by now. So that is not the option we're taking. It, it's, it's not easier. It's not more fun. We, we may meet some people that we like, that we know there, but <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Blew it and smooth. I want to say at the outset that particularly in this year, in the middle of a blasted global pandemic, um, but really almost any year where you live as an American or almost any other form of human, there is a just a very, very strong pull to stay in struggle. Uh, there's never enough time. It just seems like there's never enough space for yourself. It seems like there's just never enough genuine, joyful connection. I mean, there's just there. It it's understandable that people would end up in this trance a lot of the time. And so, I just wanted to say to everybody: please begin with great compassion for yourselves. This is not a failure of yours. <laughs> You've not screwed anything up. Um, this is an opportunity that's uh, remarkably available and in far less time than you think. 
And it isn't something that you make in one jump and then you succeed or you fail. It's something that, that takes, that takes time and repeated gentle efforts to get to. And I really, you say gentle movements toward it because, you know, we humans, we Americans, as soon as we see we've been doing it wrong, it's like, boom, boom, shame on you. Okay. Snap out of it. And let's go with the good one. Like, no, let's go. Oh, bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> that must've felt overwhelming for a long time or just not producing very much for you. Let's see what's available here. So I, th- I think part of why the cycle of abundance is so um, dear to me is because I, I do a lot of movement. I, you know, right now while I'm <laughs> talking to die, I'm over here going kind of circling around sort of thing. But if we just let things keep being in flow rather than being stagnant, just that opens possibilities for it. Just like it's not in concrete, it's flowing. Oh, okay. So I could be anywhere on that cycle. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a destination. It's just a different process. You quoted Carl Jung, actually, in the first half of the book, but let's just be off task for a minute here. Uh, <laughs> and I just love this. Carl Jung keeps showing up in this podcast. I feel like he's just sort of pinging me from the grave. It's the funniest thing. I it seems like every guest I talk to either quotes him somewhere or is an expert in Carl Jung or just invokes another Jung moment. But anyway, here is the quote. People don't actually solve problems. Instead, their attention and energy move toward what is more compelling and the problem shrinks from lack of attention. Yes, yes. They get in a more compelling conversation. Yeah. So what we're working on is a more compelling conversation, everybody, with your bodies and with your basic kind of the way you're orienting your your life. Please, very gently, you'll get there much faster if you go slowly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Those of us who want the shortcut, this is the shortcut. (laughs) This is the shortcut, I promise you. Yes. Tell us about aligning and attracting. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know which one of the phases are my favorite but certainly these, because when I, if, if I, and I look at it this way, like if it's flowing, it's it's flowing circular. Aligning is when I join with what's already in flow, as opposed Uh to making something flow or starting something to happen or start stopping it from happening. So we already belong to the circle that we talked about in the first session of belonging and, and of just of life moving and possibilities moving. So we're, we're awake to possibilities. We're awake to inspiration. We're awake to what's possible. What might be possible from here? And remember, if we were just on the back and forth, there's give and receive, and that's all there is. If we've now rounded the edges, so it's a cycle. We go from giving the completion of sending out to aligning, which is where's the next place to come in? What's the next thing to join with, to contribute to, to be part of that can let things move easily and richly? And the signs of embodied aligning include ease, pleasure, aliveness, and relief. Oh, I don't have to be doing it all on myself. I don't have to be forcing anything to happen. And that's the opposite of aligning is I am forcing it. I 
myself as an independent contractor will make this happen. Oh my goodness. I don't want to tell you how many years of my career I spent there. (laughs) I will make it happen. Do not worry. I will take care of it. I am joining with what's already in flow. I'm joining with what's already working on my behalf. I don't have to make anything happen. So there's not forcing. And remember, you know, if we're, if, if flow is one state, which is pretty open and fluid, then forcing is tightening everything I've got and insisting that something Mm. happened that currently is not quite Mm. exhausting. So to just align with, and I, I, when I first started playing, when I got this image of the cycle of abundance, I started playing with like, I'm just going to see how many times around the circle I can go just be in in aligning. (laughs) It's like as many times Mm -hmm. as I want. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's joining with what is already at work on my behalf, what is already happening in the life I live, what is already possible. And it, you know, it's kind of like it comes around again and I just jump on that train or I jump on that bus or I, uh, or, or the streetcars in San Francisco where you just reach up and step up to it. You don't even have to be all the way on, but you're now traveling with other people. I can't help but think about years of training for me in Tai Chi. Mm, um, yeah. Tai Chi, a lot of people don't know Tai Chi is really an extremely effective martial art, but it's very Taoist. And so it believes that soft overcomes hard. So the first thing you have to do is soften to your opponent. And that means if somebody is, is rushing in, instead of meeting there with him there with hard forearms and elbows and clenched fists, you give way. There's a beautiful way in which the body can become really sort of soft to what aggresses upon you, and you have immensely more choices when you're soft than when you're rigid. And there are just so many ways that shows up in our day-to-day lives, too. So if I can soften to, interesting, that's the fourth red light I've hit, and now I'm going to be late for my nine o'clock client. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, so can I soften to lateness? Mm. Can I align mm. with lateness? Interesting. Mm. Well, one way to do that is even with, you know, just with body. But the other way is even with story. What if I imagine somehow this is working for me? <laughs> yeah, or at least there's nothing for me to resist here. Yeah. So, I've you know, I've said for years to clients, and I don't know where I got this. It just kind of came out of the blue 20 years ago. But I've said for a long time, you can't change what you won't join. Oh, nice. Yes. And with my brother and I, you know, back at the beginning of season one, we were talking about this idea that if the, the metaphor was uh, the runaway train, and this can be the runaway train on our insides or the felt sense of like life is out of control or, you know, at least... The traffic is out of control, right? In the old westerns, the way you stop a runaway train is not to set up a block that creates a huge train wreck. And it's certainly not to evacuate the entire town because it's too late for that. The only way to stop a runaway train is to board it. You have to ride alongside on your horse and stand up in the saddle and jump on this insane thing and climb all the way up to the locomotive. And then you have a chance to make change. Nice. Perfect, perfect metaphor. So alignment. And then what's attracting? Well, again, I, I don't know which one of these is my favorite. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've joined back in 
So I joined, I'm with something, with a momentum, with an energy that's already moving naturally. And I am bringing myself to be part of that too. So I reap the benefits of aligning and I'm also contributing at, at that time. So attracting, um, and again, if you think from nothing to something, so attracting is, um, is unforced joining again. It's, uh, um, we're directing our energy and our expectation. So it's not, damn it, I have to have $100 by Friday. I have to have it. That is not attracting. <laughs> it is yeah. using none of the principles of attracting. And so all the things floating around the world are going, I don't know what we're supposed to do here. She's, she's just demanding something. That's not quite it. But attracting is I already get related to that which I want. Yes. I can already picture it. I can already see it. I can already imagine it. Attracting. Oh, yeah, that would be so lovely. Wow. Like it can even be like, maybe I won't miss my flight. We're getting to the airport pretty late, but I'm just going to trust that everything's going to work perfectly and I'm going to get on the plane. So I'm mm -hmm. allowing something to occur that my normal rigidity rigidity wouldn't even it wouldn't occur to me to even want that well i'm going to miss my plane now i better just go ahead and call them and not even try to make it to the gate or not <laughs> or not yeah. attracting yeah um drawing toward and also being magnetic at magnetic our magnetic ourselves so we are already in the flow now in this flow state we have chosen to be in the flow state with aligning and attracting and we can board anywhere we don't have to start always in the same place yeah. um, i'm i'm choosing to be one with this to be available to this to be open to what want to come want, wants to come through this avenue of attracting and i'm much more relaxed in my body because i'm not straining hard to make anything happen I'm attracting, I'm at ease, I'm available, I'm fluid. Signs of embodied attracting include ease, pleasure, aliveness, and confidence. So I'm not doubting it over and over again. I don't know if this will work. I don't know if this is going to happen. I, I, I hope it does, but I'm not sure. It, it's just this ease, pleasure, like, isn't this great? Some yeah. would say it's... Uh, being more Pollyanna, I think Pollyanna was a pretty smart chick. I think she knew a lot of things. <laughs> so letting it come without effort, without straining, without resisting, without demanding. I don't have to do any of those things. Like, ah, open and available. I like your idea of kind of the embodied confidence. It's like mm -hmm. you're, you're, you inhabit your body as though your body already knew it were true. As it's already mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. You're already there mm -hmm. and your body is relaxed into that place of delight or relief or whatever. It's some version of like, yay, that yeah. worked out perfectly. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and that we then begin to act from that place. Can you read that wonderful little story on page 110 about the farming community praying for rain? Oh, yes. This is one of my favorites. <laughs> it's just... Uh. Yeah. It's so adorable because it's sort of, it's, yeah, it, it totally captures the spirit of this. Here's a classic story. A farming community is facing one of the worst droughts in a decade. 
A few more days and the crops will be ruined. And everyone in town knows that will mean a very lean year for all of them. Someone decides the situation calls for desperate measures and a town prayer meeting is called at the church. That evening, everyone shows up and squeezes into the sanctuary to pray for rain. Only one little girl arrives with an umbrella. So beautiful, right? Like, she's the only one who totally gets it. Oh, we're praying for rain. Okay, I got it. I'm bringing my umbrella. Here's the amazing truth. You don't attract what you want or even what you deserve. You attract what you expect. Okay, pause there. So that line right there has been in my head for 10 years. You attract, you don't attract what you want or even what you deserve. You attract what you expect. I want to talk about that one for two reasons. One of them is it's an exceedingly powerful statement. And by expect, what you mean is kind of with that embodied confidence that goes with you expect your car to be where you parked it, you know, like it is... There is a kind of certainty in your body when you walk out the front door that your car will be just where you left it, mm-hmm. unless you've had a lot of car thefts in your life. Generally speaking, <laughs> that's one of the ones we can all count on. <laughs> also, it's the kind of statement that can be just misunderstood enough that it can get weaponized and people mm-hmm. can hurt themselves with it, mm-hmm. right? You know, well, for one thing, often life does surprise us. It isn't what we expect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Often it is. And I work with clients all the time who will, you know, until we get deeper into our work, one more time, choose a boyfriend or a girlfriend who hurts Mm. them just like the one before, Mm. or will find a way to sabotage their money pursuits just the way their parents taught them to. That at some level, there's something kind of, there's deep in the unconscious expectation that life will unfold this way. And then we unconsciously stick with the script. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. But then, you know, sometimes really hard things come along, like... Pete sharing he had COVID earlier this year, and it was brutal. In his case, it was a really brutal case. My wife lost her mom unexpectedly to stage four cancer, and wham, she was gone in weeks. And so many are living with a pandemic nobody expected. Well, almost nobody. Sometimes really hard things happen, you know? Uh, It's cancer or it's, you know, something financially devastating or something like that. And I don't want people to be saying to themselves, well, I guess I did this to myself. Yeah. Or saying to you, well, see, obviously that's not true because I got surprised by something terrible and you can't blame it on me. I mean, (laughs) somehow that all misses the point. Help us reconcile these. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I think this is very real, too. It's like for a lot of us, hold on. I had nothing to do with bringing this in. <laughs> yeah. And now here it is, and now I have to deal with it. And so there's, a, a, for me, there's a level of at easement in attracting, in that I don't have to force to make anything happen. I don't have to squeeze to make anything happen. I can let life do what it does. And I think also in there is the, promise or assurance that whatever it is, I will still be me. I still get to be whole. It could be hard. It could be heartbreaking. But I don't have to deteriorate and disappear or punish myself for not seeing it coming. 
that there is a fundamental wholeness. And so now you're hearing me speak about how I see the whole universe. And so certainly what I see about in abundance, there's a fundamental wholeness in life that yes, certainly there will be times that are wrenching and difficult and painful and awful. And there is also the sun coming up in the morning and the fresh air coming in through the window and what makes makes our life livable. If I take it on like it shouldn't have happened or it was my fault or you can't trust anything, then what I do is close down any aliveness that I have allowed to open. But to keep myself safe from disappointed, I don't think it's possible. I thought I had the perfect marriage in my first marriage. And in a weekend, it was gone. Like, Boom. wait a minute, but I did everything I was supposed to do. I didn't How could this happen this, to right? me? Yeah, wait a whoa, 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 whoa. And um, how, the longer I spent being resentful about the fact that it had happened and that I didn't see it coming, the longer my pain was. And when I could really turn to it and say, wow, you know, I don't like it at all. This isn't right. It shouldn't have happened. And it did. Do I choose to keep living in the world? Then where am I going to put my attention? And and I mean, my crying jags were months long. I wasn't done in a week. (laughs) My sweet friends stopped answering the phone when I called because they just couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't Yes, honey, I know. Yes, honey, I know. Yes, honey, I know. Yeah. But fundamentally, can I rest into there is a goodness in the world. There's a goodness in life. And if I am caught in the perception that scarcity is the reality, no, I cannot. Right. It keeps taking me to that clinch place. And then the idea of open and expand and flow, why the hell would I do that? Right. So being available to tumble where there's a tumble and to still know that there's going to be sunshine in the morning and that there are wonderful people. And, and for most of us, there are people I can reach for who will be there for me and love me and care about me, even though I'm awful and terrible and I don't do anything right. And rah, 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 mm. rah, 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 rah. That either I have decided somewhere life works or it doesn't. And it's a good place to see where I am on that continuum. Because there's so much evidence. And, and uh, I, when, I think it's in this book um, that I went on to write Victoria's Adventures in Hell, that in one short period mm-hmm. of time, you know, my marriage ended, my, where I lived went away because we, he was managing a resort, which meant that we had a lovely place to live. And suddenly, oops, that was gone. All this kind of stuff. My, my dad died. It just boom, 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 boom. And if what I had done was just build a case for how awful life is, I would have had all the evidence I could possibly use. And would have but stayed it there. did not in any way help me be closer to the life that I wanted to experience. Well, I think what I hear you saying that's so cool is you're, in effect, you're saying, um, that you'll get what you expect. It just may be in the longer run than you were planning on. (laughs) 
right? Like it's it's coming. <laughs> Sit or tight. It, or it may be a little diluted in that it might uh-huh. have even gotten sweeter and softer. Or it's coming in less than what you expected because you're so sure life can't work. Yep. You're just like, yep. yeah, this is a role in life. And it's like, really? <laughs> and I, I remember... <laughs> Oh, my poor mom. She answered the phone every time I called. And, you know, she was a recent widow. And here I was calling and telling her how sad I was. Like, mm. um, But she just could keep saying, and her faith was profound. She said, I know it's hard, honey. I know. And I know you. And it always works out. Aww. How can you say that to me? <laughs> but, you know, what if my mom's right about that? What if, what if it does work out and it did oh my god my life is 10 times more fabulous than i could ever have imagined and all the right people showed up including you today you know like how does Hmm. all of this happen there is a bigger power at work i love the question what if everything that's happening to you right now is the universe preparing you for what you've asked for yeah yeah that has been very helpful to me in times when everything shattered. Mm, yeah, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it's taking it right down to the frame here. <laughs> okay, got it. Yep. <laughs> that's what we yeah, need to do. It's, right, yeah. if we're going to, this is going to be a big old demolition job before we can rebuild. <laughs> yep. And I had, a, you know, Adventures in Hell myself 20 years ago at a time when absolutely every part of my life felt like it was on fire. I mean, mm-hmm. everything was in flames. Mm-hmm. And w- one thought that helped me a lot was, boy, if there are guides available to help from the heavenly side, they must have worked really hard to have this many things break at the same time. <laughs> I wonder what they're up to. <laughs> right? And it turned out to be really true because I've got enough sort of ego strength that I can take out one hard hit. But if I, you know, seven or ten at once, that's that's going to really break me down. And I needed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Can I tell you about my favorite study ever that demonstrates your idea that we get what we expect? Sure. There's I've read about this really neat study they did um, where they asked subjects a whole bunch of dummy questions and buried in there was the only important one, which was, do you consider yourself a lucky person? And then they sent them down a sidewalk across the quad to go to the second half of the study. And somewhere on that sidewalk, they had tightly rolled up a $100 bill and put it in the crack of a sidewalk and then set up all kinds of hidden cameras to watch how did people respond. And what they found was, sure enough, people who considered themselves lucky found the $100 bill more often than people who considered themselves unlucky. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that what's really interesting, though, is that the cameras could show people who considered themselves unlucky looked at the $100 bill just as much. Mm. They just couldn't see it. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oof. Isn't that wild? Yeah. yeah. Yes, we, we are so much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. Yes. Yeah. One of the ways I was using attraction, I mean, shoot, even last night and this morning, um, I, I mean, if people could see my copy of The Trance of Scarcity, they would see literally hundreds of little tabs where I've scribbled notes on sticky notes. And yes, I love notes, that. Right? And <laughs> I ended up with a much more full week with clients than than I was expecting. And so 
I had about three hours this morning to pull all of those notes mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do things deeply, but not always very quickly. And I was thinking, I could totally see myself getting to about, you know, two thirds of the way through the book and then just not having any notes for the last half of like what we're. <laughs> <laughs> and I caught myself there and I was like, why don't we not expect that? How about? So I just sat down and meditated for a moment, and I imagined going through this in a relaxed way, breathing easily, and getting done 15 minutes before our show was to start with all the notes I needed for the iPad and just feeling really excited about our conversations. And that's exactly what happened. 16 minutes to go, and I was like, huh, look at that. I'm done. It was just great. Anyway, I would encourage people to do that. It's a lovely thing to do on the way out of meditation to just relax and begin to align yourself with what you want. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's not selfish and it's not arrogant and it's not any of those things. It's like, I'm available. It's the simple, I'm available. Yeah. Which takes us into then receiving in gratitude. I mean, you're in a sense, you're beginning to align already and attract to you things for which you'd be willing to receive and feel grateful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think, too, just understanding there is a flow. It may not be circular in, in anybody's imagery that mine, but there is a flow to life. And the more I can sync up with the flow to life, the more opportunities are going to show up. Some of them will be ones I choose to decline. Some of them might be very difficult, but there's plenty of them. It's not stagnant. We're not out in a desert somewhere trying to make life be different. It's like, oh, hey, let's get on this little boat and just cruise and see what happens. And apparently we can get off wherever we want to kind of thing. So gratitude, receiving, if the opposite of receiving is numbing, it means I have trained myself to not feel anything, which guarantees I cannot be enriched. I can't let myself feel the tenderness of seeing a dad pick up his daughter. I can't, uh, I can't tolerate somebody having won the lottery <laughs> because I'll never have that. So I go numb. It's kind of what we talked about too, is sometimes like I will use some substance to numb me so that I don't have to feel my disappointment or my discouragement or my rage or whatever it might be. So gratitude is really opening up widely, expecting the best, expecting great stuff. Bring it on, baby. I am yours. I am exactly the person that needs to be here. Being available in the fullest sense, so not even holding one foot out of the cycle or out of the circle or just yeah go ahead but you know just a little be fine i i don't need very much just 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 a little here receiving is receiving receiving is like receiving when somebody you love walks in the room and you let all of it wash over you not just well okay that's enough that's about 10 percent. that's that's really all i can take so let's don't do more than that so it means feeling more and Again, if I've come from a place where stuff has been tough, feeling doesn't feel so great. So I want to just kind of quiet it down and keep it very, very low key, very, no, 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 that's enough. That's enough. Just a little bit, just a little, please, please don't, please don't bring any more than that. So the less we feel, the safer we believe we are, and we can build a big case to not feel more. 
Uh, uh, I just went through a horrendous divorce. I just lost my job. I don't need to feel to that extent. Okay. That's pretty huge and riveting. Right. And you're also going to keep yourself precisely there until you let the flow keep on flowing through. And it's tough. God, it's tough. I, I did, I, I will say this as I was going through my divorce uh, and I moved to a new town. I mean, it was just like, there were so many things that changed for me and I couldn't find work and all of that kind of stuff. I, and I pretty much every day yelled at God, like, this is really not what I had planned. And what were you thinking? But I just kept going for a walk every day. And I, I lived in a beautiful area and would let myself see the beauty. I'd let myself see the beauty of the paths that I walked on or people's homes that were beautifully manicured, or I was uh, near a lake to see what was going on around the lake and the animals and so on. It was just enough that I didn't completely shut down my aliveness, which made me available to receive. And little by little, I came out of the numbness because I absolutely wanted to be numb about everything. Really, please don't make me feel anything again, possibly ever, to, well, I can feel that, and I live through it. I, I can see the beauty here. Okay, I'll tolerate beauty, but don't bring me ugly stuff. <laughs> and I remember I was working working as a waitress, which was kind of my default thing because it's how I'd earned my way through college, and now I was back in a place where I didn't have credentials for anything at that particular place. And so I was in an exchange regularly of serving and receiving, basically. And I let myself feel how pleasurable that was. And that opened me up a little more. It's like, oh, yeah, I love people. I love taking care of people. And I was in a fun house and it was good food and all that kind of stuff. So watching where I want to squeeze down my aliveness, I think, is a great place to look. And if you want to know the cycle of abundance, just go to how great, how easy, how easy is it for me to receive, to really be open to receive? Because mm. we kind of flow into it, and then there we are. We're just sitting in the deep well of receiving. It's like, oh, my goodness. Or, oh, my goodness, this is too much. I don't want this much. Get this away from me. I just need a little tiny bit. Signs of embodied receiving include ease, pleasure, aliveness and satisfaction signs of uh, embodied attracting include pleasure ease pleasure aliveness and confidence okay so there you go they're very similar so satisfaction yeah. here's a quality for a lot of us we don't trust we don't trust the satisfaction is going to last we don't trust the satisfaction we don't trust that we deserve to feel satisfied that we've earned enough or done enough but if you can take a moment of when you feel satisfaction for anything, for the bite of food you just put in your mouth, for the view outside your window, for the touch of the hand of someone you love, and really let yourself be nourished in satisfaction. We are way less likely to squeeze it all down again and go back to mm -hmm. feeling nothing. I just assume feel nothing, thank you. And the people that are really numb and I have God love them. I have worked with a number of clients who are or have been. And the one thing is they are willing to not feel so numb. If they're not willing to feel numb, then there's really no point in them coming to see me. 
Because right. I'm going to poke on that aliveness. part. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, yeah. no, no, that's enough. No, no, that's no. I just can't. <laughs> if they're willing to tolerate more aliveness at all, then reshaping their body, you know, letting them breathe more deeply, do luxurious things, get a massage or get in a hot bath or whatever it might be, where sensation becomes friendly to you rather than dangerous. Yeah. For some people, I. So- I really want to honor that because we say, oh, you know, just like, let your body relax. Like, why would I do that? I have no reason to believe I'm going to be safe. Yeah. 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 And it's a big part of why we have to first join the contraction before expansion is possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like this simple exercise. If we could maybe even try it now. Um, It's so simple, but just to look around the room you're in, whoever's listening out there, and to just choose three things you'd be willing to let in as pleasurable. Mm -hmm. The Buddhists would call that taking in the good. Mm -hmm. Like I'm looking out my window and I see a beautiful view of the park even on a gray day. I love my ficus. It's been in my office for 15 years. It's just like a friend, incredibly hardy and resilient when ficuses aren't supposed to be. (laughs) I see my brother's artwork all around my office, and I love that. I love him. And I can feel my shoulders want to drop. And I can feel my eyes kind of soften as I let in the color of that art or those plants or that view. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and to actually consciously attend to them. Because I have a picture of my husband, Tim, uh, whom I love, and the photo I love because he'd been out on a photo shoot with a bunch of other photographers that were crawling around, and he's got on a straw hat, and he's got his camera around. And another one of the other photographers, and he was just perfectly in stride and he was so in his body and he had a smile on his face like i want that blown up i want that on my office because of all that emanates from that to me so yeah do we actually make ourselves available to what wants to enrich us all the time yeah and that would go back to do i believe the universe is friendly yes because if I don't, then that's a ridiculous question to ask. And what we expect. I will ask clients once in a while, would you really be willing to let in all the good feelings that would come with getting what you say you want? Are you prepared mm-hmm. for that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So often, what I'll find is people aren't. They will go and find the very lady they've been waiting for, even by name, the one they had their eye on, right? And before you know it, like, uh, there's this tiny little objection that would probably be easily overlooked, but all they can think is, oh, if only this were true, then Mm -hmm. I might be happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I finally got the job I want. I finally make the money I want. If you told me I'd made this exact same money, you know, all those years ago, I knew I knew then I would have been happy. But I get here and I think, ooh, still pretty tight. You know, this is like how people are living. Right. 
And until we practice letting in the good, even when we get everything we want, we won't yeah. receive. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be very careful to not have it all come in because then I would have to change my belief system and that's really scary and dangerous. <laughs> I think this fourth time through your book, the one of the things that really stood out the most strongly to me was this idea of bliss tolerance. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that in our last episode. But one thing I work with clients around is this idea that everything in the universe is cycling from expansion to contraction to expansion to contraction. Everything and everyone is doing that. Whether we can relax into that or not makes all the difference in how we experience that. Um, and most of the time, we end up talking about how hard it is to relax into contraction, like mm. to just sort mm. of let ourselves join that for a little while so it can become expansion again. And we get fixated on the contraction part and sort of like you've, you've been saying beautifully for both of these episodes, we numb ourselves rather than, you know, and we go to relief instead of letting ourselves feel it. But what I hear in this bliss tolerance thing is um, we also can resist expansion. Oh, yeah. We can have this governor on that, this ceiling that we don't even know about that says there's only so much I'm allowed to feel good about this before I will jump in and interrupt that. I'll take it away from myself. I'm going to have to pay somewhere. It's going to cost me somewhere. I'm going to get penalized for, yeah. Yeah, so bliss tolerance, I highly recommend bliss tolerance in small doses to begin with, but it can be anybody who has an animal that will let them pet them. (laughs) Uh, So with birds, I'm I'm sure that's true too. I just, I don't have birds. I don't know about stroking birds, but our dogs are very clear. Their job in our lives is to let us adore them. (laughs) And they think that is a perfect plan, and they're totally willing for that to happen all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And I get blissed out. So here's a place. So I work at home. So if I know I have a call coming or if I know I'm going to be in a conversation about something, I'm checking my mood or my state before that starts. And if I go, I could use a little more bliss tolerance. Come here, Glory. And we'll do our little love up for a minute. Go, oh, and then here comes Bucky. Okay. But I, I want a high bliss tolerance. And in the beginning, it may be that I have to be very careful about it because it seems dangerous to me or scary or risky. It's like, no, the drop's going to be terrible. So bliss tolerance as in I can tolerate more sensation because I relax the body and the brain. I'm not going to get in trouble for this. I'm not, yeah. I'm not misbehaving. Bliss tolerance. It's just for me, it's yes. a very friendly phrase. But right. it's, you know, it's okay. How good can you stand it? All of those kind of things. I, in fact, I did a whole series of tapes. One of my early set of tapes about prosperity was on how good can you stand it. I would encourage everybody out there to get very curious about the part of them that gets scared to feel good. Mm-hmm. And you don't even think of it as fear. But I tell clients a lot it takes at least as much courage to let in our expansive feelings as our contracted ones. For some reason, that hadn't entirely hit me as, wait a minute, I do that. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm reading your book again. Um, but it makes sense. And it makes sense to me finally why our 
good feelings can only reach the same level as our willingness to feel painful feelings. Mm -hmm. But like it all comes out of the same faucet, as they say. Mm -hmm. And so if we crank it down on fear or sadness or grief or anger, we tend to crank it down on um, joy and excitement and all of the acts of receiving. And we do that because we're controlling sensation. Right. We're, we're doing our own little gauge on, okay, that's enough. That's don't get too much, whatever. And, and so I think one of the, one of my very, very, very favorite practices in the world is gratitude. And I think that's a way to allow us to stay on the cycle of abundance is to be grateful. And, and I started it when I had, I, I was in that phrase. I was recently divorced. I was working as a waitress living on tips. I was, you know, in the back end of somebody's house that didn't have good water, whatever it was. I mean, my list of my current existence was like, oh, I love this. And I, I didn't. <laughs> but I wrote down every day what I was grateful for, 10 things. And it could be the same 10 every day, which was good because it was. Um <laughs> I'm grateful that I can scream and pound on my bed and cry because nobody can hear me. I, that was one of the things on my list because my life was so miserable. But I got a wink of the quality of gratitude, of genuinely being willing to be nourished and satisfied and expanded and loved and filled and lifted. And when I stopped, resisting being grateful, I could not run out of things to be grateful for. It, it really was. I was, you know, I was the poster child for gratitude. Okay, let's do a hundred things we're grateful for. Okay. But to actually understand, I'm choosing to have a different relationship with reality. Reality does not have to change at all for me to have gratitude. I can see it. I can be with it. I can appreciate it. I, Yeah. All of those and things. And suddenly you can see the $100 bill in the sidewalk. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, not just as luck, but you just you just start to, um, you see the blessings everywhere around you when you're practicing looking for them. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and I think, too, about gratitude and the very nature of what it does. It's acknowledging what's good and anticipating more. I, I'm willing to yeah. raise my bliss tolerance here and have even more of that, have even more good in my life, have even more possibilities in my life, have the next gas station accept the credit card I have because I'm on empty, you know, whatever it may be that it isn't like I'm just shining myself on. Okay, let's just keep talking happy thoughts and we'll get there and everything will be fine. It's like the, I fundamentally believe it's a friendly universe. I'm going to yeah. partake. From there, not from, you can't trust anything about this. And, and I can say too, you know, I, I've been at this a long, long time. I wrote this book. This is what's curious to me. I wrote the book in 05 when I was deeply in the training and the teaching of it and busy all the time. And so I keep thinking about, God, that's an old book. And I, also because I'm an enamored author, there's not a page that's out of date. Because truth All is true. still true. And, yep. and I have now applied these and embodied them for so long that it really, and, 
and friends will laugh and go, okay, Victoria, what are we supposed to be grateful for about this? Oh, that's easy. <laughs> to see it. Because I, I like living in wholeness and fullness and possibility. I do not like living in, in the tight shrinking, it never works and it's never going to. So I have a preference too. So uh, I, I would just keep saying, be kind and gentle with ourselves. If we don't have much of a bliss tolerance or a happiness tolerance or a calm tolerance or a friendly tolerance, then we get to build that and not be impatient with ourselves while we're letting it show itself more. And the opposite of gratitude is arrogance. Can't ever be that way. No. You're never going to convince me that that's going to work. No. Not good enough. It's a really, really stiff, closed move away because that could never work. And boy, the cost of living in arrogance, I I don't recommend it. (laughs) I'd like to remind everybody out there that... um, that my favorite definition of mental health is the tolerance and hardiness for mixed contradictory feeling. Nice. And eventually, actually, in the next month or so, we're going to have Jerry Campbell, the guy who taught me the, that definition on our show, to talk more about that and many other great things. But mm. that's really relevant right here because mm-hmm. some folks will say, you know, these gratitude lists are just a way to kind of paper over, you know, mold in the, on the, in the walls, right? Mm-hmm. It's a way to just pretend <laughs> it's not there. Um, it's a way to just stick our fingers in our ears and yell, la, la, la. And I don't hear you suggesting that at all. I mm. hear you saying you could feel really sad today or really scared or really angry or really hopeless and let in some gratitude, let in some good. Look around the room and notice 10 things you know, which is probably seven past what you thought you could even find that you could feel a little bit good about at the same time as you feel these other things. And that that, that sort of alignment to receiving and gratitude helps this cycle of abundance continue, um, even if that's the best you can do when you start, because right now you're not real aligned with what's going on and you can't imagine attracting anything better because your life just got wrecked. Yes. You might be able to find a little bit of gratitude, however small, and keep your breath moving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And I think, too, we, many of us, keep our physical bodies in such a contracted state for whatever reason that it's hard for us to feel sensation. And maybe that was what we've done to be safe. But if we want to experience more gratitude, it might be that we thaw a little bit, a little bit in our shoulders, in our throat, in our belly to just, oh my God, I can feel more sensation here. And that could be, oh shit, I don't want to feel more sensation here. Or, oh, that's what relaxation feels like. My husband, who's uh, after being a civil engineer, became a massage practitioner. And he said, you know, the first six visits with anybody is, can you lie on the table and let go of your structure? (laughs) You know, like lie on the table because there's so much holding going on. And then it's the gentle and very respectful unwinding of that holding. So it, so they go, Oh my God, that's what it feels like. I must be four feet taller. Yeah. yeah. So remember, part of the trance is this ongoing contraction. It's not safe. It's not enough. So even if we're making any room for it, 
it's a kindness to ourselves and we need to, as best we can, be kind with ourselves. If it feels like it's too much or it's, no, that I, mm -mm, I can't do that. I can't go there. I can't, I, I, this cycle of abundance, I can't stand this. Let's, let's go on to something else. Okay. So now it's not the, now it's not the time and let yourself, anytime you can give yourself a little more space, there's a little more opportunity for life to flow in you, through you. One more fun thought on this before we go on to generosity and giving. One neat way to think of receiving is literally on the sensory level. Um, and I'll encourage clients sometimes to just sit and f stare at something colorful. You might all try this out there wherever you are. Just look at something colorful in the room and see what you have to do to your with your eyes and the rest of your body to let that color saturate by about 15%. Just let the color get a little bit richer. And notice what changes in the rest of you to just let the color in. What I find is I can't do it without my breath beginning to move. <laughs> my eyes have to stop gripping things and finally ah, just receiving. Oh, nice, nice, yeah. My facial muscles start to relax and my shoulders drop kind of all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, more color comes in. That's receiving. That is such a beautiful practice too. Isn't that wow. neat? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just let that grace wash over me. Thank you very much. It moves our brains into an alpha state. Mm -hmm. I have one of my favorite Hafiz poems in front of me as a, an introduction to generosity and giving. Even after all these years, he writes, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens to a love like that. It lights up the whole world. Wouldn't you have loved to walk the paths with Hafiz and how he saw the world? Oh, or any of those mystical anything. teachers. Oh, good heavens. We have, just as an aside, we used to have hundreds of books in our living room, and then we moved to a smaller place and thought, you know, we don't, we don't need hundreds of books, at least not everywhere we are. So the only books we have in our living room are poetry books now. <laughs> and they're all like that. Like you read one poem, it's like, holy Jobies. <sighs> and then they all get left out on the coffee table or left on the dining room table because we want to read them again and then we get to put them away for it. But yeah, that uh. that's kind of so so I think that's a bit it of the of the mystics of how they saw life. That the cycle of abundance in many ways is an opportunity to see like the mystics do. That all is good and all is possible and all is flowing and generosity is i think my favorite because it allows me to give and i i do kind of like to effuse <laughs> so <laughs> so i get to be in that space of oh aren't you wonderful and god this is so great would you like some and i made some and please come have some with you and the opposite of generosity is hoarding mm. no mine you have to stay away in fact, this is where I love the cartoon characters in the book because they're so perfect of that. Like, no, mine, hoarding, no. So I have to stay in contraction to not feel generosity, to not go, do you want some? Have some. 
everybody have some. It's just a joyful, happy state. Whereas um, the um, hoarding is distrustful by nature. Get back. I can't let you be too close. And the signs of embodied generosity include ease, pleasure, aliveness, and resilience. And this is part of generosity that's, I think, sometimes overlooked. It's like, the more I'm in that state of flow, the more I got. The more possibilities, the more opportunities. And I'm full all the time. I don't know how that happens, but I, I just feel full so much of the time. It's like, whoo, yeah, I can deal with that. Oh, yeah, great. Add them on. I, I'll, I can see them at the end of the day. That kind of way of being with and being fortified and nurtured and consistently restored. That's the flow of generosity. And if we think about the people in our lives who are generous, their their well never goes dry. I I have a I'm in a course with one of my dear friends and mentors who is at least 87, maybe more, and she is a fountain of that now. She's a fountain. And the other day I um I, there's about 20 of us in this cohort and uh I said something to her about what a role model she is. And this is what she does. She turns around and she goes, Victoria, you have been delicious from the moment I met you. <laughs> so generous. Well, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> and it came from Aww. So it, it's just such a fun place to be. And we can, wow. we can do it on a small scale, kind of quietly, if, it, if generosity is a place that feels like that might be a little awkward or uh, I want to be careful about it. But certainly with the people you love, to feel generosity toward them, even if you don't say it. Or to leave the note, have a great day, babe. All of those things are, I'm letting the flow flow. I am not putting any impediments for the flow to stop. And then from generosity, it's kind of natural that we just spill into giving. It's like, here, take it, have some, have as much as you want. Um, and the opposite of giving is stagnation. So this is the place for me, like in terms of like water flowing between hoarding, which is that stagnation. Then the next thing is I stop it entirely. No giving taking place here. Nothing's leaving. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Nothing can move. Well, if nothing can move, then that's precisely what will happen. Nothing will move. So that giving and and the other thing about giving is it comes off of my fingertips i no longer have a hold of it or control of it it's going to do what it does and the way for me to hold it is to go back to that i'm just going to st- i'm i'm blocking the dam no more travel on the river nope again from a place of fear and distrust and i don't know what that would look like and i don't know that that's going to be good so better that we don't do anything we can't we keep our shields up yeah careful to not let anything go and embodied giving includes ease pleasure aliveness and expansion and that's the part that i really love about it is i get to keep taking up more space having more room be in more aspects of life i don't have to stay under the trance of scarcity remember it's my my story 
and my soma. It's the, the story I tell myself and the state of my body. And if those two get to unclench, oh, what might be possible? And am I willing to let myself have that? And I can start very incrementally and just let it get bigger and bigger until, ooh, baby, bring it on. This is just going to be too fun. It's lovely to remind people that generosity isn't always just about finances. Some oh, people yeah. feel like they have to be giving and take, giving uh, material things to be generous. There are so many ways to be generous. Your mentor there was just sort of generous in her loving praise, right? right generous right, in her right. language, generous in her time there. Um, we can be, we can be generous just on the inside, you know? We might be generous in letting somebody into traffic, um, but we also might be generous in giving them the benefit of the doubt that uh, they're probably in a terrible hurry. And I know what that feels like when somebody lets me in, when I really got to get there on time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. if I'm already operating from fullness, it costs me nothing to let them in. Right. So am I keeping myself full or am I squeezing down the places where flow can flow? Where Am I still keeping score about how much is coming in and how much is going out? If I do that, I am keeping myself in contraction. And so anytime I can let go, even for a moment, to take a deep breath in and exhale completely, I've at least interrupted that pattern one more time. So it's not, and, and I'm not saying get over yourself and just let everything flow. Like, forget all the problems you've had in your life and all the reasons that you're nervous or anxious or cautious. Not at all. Be kinder to you. Just be kinder to you. Wow, that really feels hard. Ow. Ooh. How, how, yeah. What could I do for myself in this moment? What, what could I say? What could I... Uh, and I, I'll just say, and you might want to see if you can get in there before you're reaching for the candy bar or the alcohol, or whatever else it might be to go, what's a way that I could be kind to myself in this moment? Just this yeah. moment. And I don't have to tell anybody and nobody has to see it. How could, I, you know, I'm going to sit here an extra minute before I go to my car. Wow. Yeah, I love the idea of being generous toward ourselves. And it does raise an interesting, like, distinction for everybody to feel into it's not a clear line it's a fluid one that's always moving and one distinction is between generosity and um indulging indulgence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the other between generosity and enabling sometimes i will see folks be generous in a way that feels somehow like it's coming from a compulsive place mm, like mm -hmm. it's coming more yes. from contraction than it is from expansion <laughs> um it's coming it's still coming from scarcity yeah. and the scarcity is i wouldn't be enough of a person if i didn't give more than i that if i didn't keep pouring from an empty pitcher yes yeah um it, well said and it yes. and it becomes a way to kind of avoid receiving sometimes to just overgive. um like we never let ourselves get full if we are overdoing it. So it gets, it becomes a really interesting practice in my mind to watch the places where I give really easily and often and places where I'm a little tighter. 
<laughs> and I notice the places where I'm tighter tend to be places where I also have less flow coming toward me. And I've always assumed it was about less coming toward me, so I'm scared to give it up. But I think it may also be the other way around, that I'm. Mm -hmm. it's more of a clenched fist, and that's part of why I'm not receiving very well over there, or not noticing how much I'm receiving, at least. But also, it's useful to just notice, where am I giving kind of compulsively? Like, I didn't really have time to do that, and it kind of screwed up something else somewhere else. I wonder why I couldn't say no. Mm, boy, that's a beautiful piece of how many of us are doing things we really don't have the aptitude or desire or time to do, but I'm a good person, therefore I will. Yeah. Right. You? Yeah. Do you want to read that lovely little piece from page 149? This is that story of the woman in the stream. And I do not know who to give credit to this because the book was anonymous. Mm. A wise woman was traveling in the mountains when she came upon a beautiful clear stream. Thirsty, she cupped her hand, reached in, and brought the water to her mouth. After she had drunk, she noticed a precious stone in the palm of her hand. She held it high and it glittered in the sun. Delighted, she tucked the treasure into her bag. The next day, the wise woman met a hungry fellow traveler, and without hesitating, she opened the bag to share what food she had. Immediately, the traveler so caught sight of the precious stone and asked the woman to give it to him. She did so without the slightest hesitation. The traveler left rejoicing in his good fortune. This stone was surely worth enough money to provide a lifetime of security. But only a few days later, he came back, his brow furrowed, and return the stone to the wise woman. I've been thinking, he said. I know how valuable this stone must surely be, but I've brought it back to trade for something even more precious. Please give me what you have within you that enabled you to freely give me the stone. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, to have that sensibility about how life works and how I am in it, that I can say, oh, yeah, have it. And I won't be depleted and I won't be lessened. Before we start wrapping up, there are a couple more things I want to talk about. One of them is you talk about the opposite of giving is stagnation. And you write this. I wanted to read this back to you. One of the ways we dam up the flow is by letting things linger and take up space in our lives. These clogging agents may be projects we'll never complete, boxes we have yet to unpack from the last move, things we know we need to say but haven't yet mustered the courage to bring up, resentments toward ourselves or others. Such unfinished business is like a box of leftovers that's gone bad. <laughs> I love that last phrase. Mm. You then go on to write something that hit me in the head. To live with these incompletes requires going numb. I think about just sort of the the tasks that go unfinished, the objects that build up, the the kind of over-accumulation of junk, the kindnesses left unexpressed. Like, it, it requires me to go numb to keep that up. And to go numb? means that I have to squeeze down my aliveness. 
So there's less of that available for me, much less anybody else. Especially in a world like this one and a time like this one, I wanted to raise an objection I thought maybe some folks would have quietly as they sat out there listening. That might sound something like this. Well, easy for us to say when we live with such immense privilege. Easy for us to have a nice attitude or to be generous. Easy for us to, you know, attract yet more from the class of people who always seem to be heaped with more. Like, what would you say to those out there, you know, who are experiencing something more like true scarcity, who look at the destitution in the world, or whose trance is strong enough that it's hard to even take pleasure in the possibility that this is a different way even they could live. Like, what, what do we do with this? I, I appreciate the question, and I am humbled by it regularly. For some people, they have nothing and their future is uncertain. And yet here we are with all this wonderful pontification of, you know, just slip into the joy stream and everything will be great. Part of my sorrow about that is the fact that there's not enough to go around in the world is out of the story that we have perpetuated. That we've regulated who gets and who doesn't. You know, what freighter that gets on and what doesn't who we've decided should be the ones that be in the flow and who don't get to be in the flow. So it, it troubles me a great deal because I, I see the inequity, I see the arrogance, I see the so many parts of it. It's like, God, you know, I think part of me would say, it's, it's not about you. It's not about that you did anything wrong, that you find yourself in with so little resource in this moment. And God, you know, it's really great. I, I don't have a nice, clean answer here. I, I think about yeah. this a lot. I meditate about it a lot. It's like, so th this kind of, for me, is part of my generosity. I want everybody to know that they belong. I want everybody to uh, feel this kind of pleasure and joy and ease. And I know for some people that simply is not part of their lives, at least at this point. And yet here they are. And here I am sitting here in my, House, talking to you in your office about something that's quite magnificent and do they get to have any part of that yes what i can't do is love them and what i can do is not put them in a category that oh poor them because you heard me that's kind of where i go it's like i'm so sorry that it's not working for you no 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 you are a splendid being in a reality that isn't very convenient for you right now. And so I will keep holding you, but I don't know that that means anything in the long run. Well, it probably doesn't bring relief in this very moment, um, except that there is a kind of, to, to not see their pain would require a kind of scarcity and numbness that you're speaking against beautifully and teaching a lot of, you know, of people to, uh, change. Um, I think you're right to point to the amount of kind of scarcity consciousness around the world that leads us not to make sure everybody's got enough. You know, a lot of folks, my, my father worked for, and stepmother, um, 
worked for the Agency for International Development, USAID, um, sort of the economic wing of the State Department that looks at sort of, so if we, if we give money somewhere in Africa, somebody needs to be in Africa to figure out how that's spent well, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing, right? And there's such a trance of scarcity that goes into some of the political conversations around that because people imagine that we're giving away, you know, 10% of our GDP every year to other countries and how crazy that is. We're giving away the tiniest fraction of 1% um, and can't imagine sparing more. <laughs> yeah, And it's right, just right. tragic to see. And yet, you know, I got to spend a lot of my childhood in those countries mm. visiting Dad and Julie. And one memory comes to mind that I wasn't thinking about when I asked you this question, but came to me as you were talking about it. I remember being uh, at my dad's house in um, Tananarive, uh, Madagascar. And behind the house one night was a whole lot of commotion, like just music playing and people banging and lots of laughing. I mean, there's something really going on outside the walls of this compound where my dad lived and where American ambassadors tended to live because that was considered safe. Um, and so I asked if I could go out there and he encouraged me to. He said, absolutely. Their neighbors are wonderful people. Go see what's going on. So I went out there and I knocked on the door and they were shocked to see a you know, a, a white adolescent knocking on the door. And the first thing they did was to welcome me in and cheer and put their arms around me and to jump up and down. And they explained that it was a circumcision party for the newest member of the family. Oh, wow. And they invited me to, to like eat of, of what they had, which was, I think, all they had for uh -huh. this party, right? Such generosity. And other Malagasy um, folks who became friends when I was working there in an orphanage, and they invited us over, and they killed their very last chicken to make sure they oh, could give wow. us the best meal they had, right? Such generosity, so much joy, uh, utterly humbling me because they felt so honored that we would come to their very, very simple home. Mm -hmm. um, I just have to think, like, somewhere in me I could be that generous, too. And for all of us out there who find ourselves suffering, I think if there's an American listening, I promise you, you have a hundred times the wealth any of these people I just mentioned have. And they have got just such generous hearts. That's possible for all of us. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, maybe I would just add to that kind of as we're closing of wishing well for others does not cost me a dime. No. Wanting the best for others doesn't cost me anything. And the no. more I can do it, you know, like riding home on the bus and just blessing everybody else on the bus. I don't need to know anything about them, but I'm just going to wish them all well and wish them blessing. It lets me stay in the flow as opposed to being in the clinch. And the yes. clinch is a really tiring place to be. <laughs> it really is. You mentioned a beautiful practice, the Buddhist practice, the Tonglen practice mm -hmm. um, in your book. I'd forgotten about it. I don't know where it went. I think of the metta practice all the time, kind of the loving kindness practice, the end of a meditation where you just send out, you know, kindness and ease to all. But this one, the Tonglen practice is beautiful. As I, as I remember it and understand it from the book, this is where 
we take time to receive what we're receiving here in this moment. Maybe it's beautiful color or it's a sense of ease or it's um, a feeling of being loved. And we pause for a moment, a breath or two, and we send out color or ease or love to all who need more of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we become then thereby kind of part of the flow of aligning with and continuing to attract more of what we're grateful for and then turning and sending that flow outward in our minds and with our energy to those who need the same. Yeah, it, it is. It's gorgeous and so simple. I, I'm not yeah. being asked to give anything away that I don't get to experience again. I'd encourage everybody out there to try that between now and the next episode, just playing with... Um, what happens in my life when I do more of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just for a day, just to, as a um, as an experiment. As an experiment, yeah. indeed. Well, Victoria, we'll wind up here and give you time for this a a second experiential exercise with everybody. But I just want to say thank you so much for your immense generosity and just coming to share your time and enthusiasm and wisdom with us. It's been really a treat for me. Mm, I'm so glad. And thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for kind of letting me delve back into the book again which, you know, I, I've almost grown up with now because it's been around for a good while. <laughs> and to see how uh, completely right the principles are that are here and for all of us. And if it offers any of us more liberation, by all means, yes, let us feast. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. You are so welcome. Thanks, Victoria. With that, I'll leave you to the uh, exercise and send my a big hug and thanks mm, mm, thank you hey it's Pete again it's one of those conversations for the ages for me it gets me thinking about angels You know, every other week I come back here to this place and I make this pitch for you to join our group as a supporting member of the show. And I do that because you all are angels to us. Your support makes this show happen. But if you've been considering supporting us and might have done it this week, you know what? Don't. I mean, you can if you want, but I'm not going to tell you how to do it. What I'd rather you do is find a little intention a spark in yourself to be an angel for someone else. Someone in your life who needs a break, or a hand, or a word of kindness. But do it with intention, with the same energy that you would have put toward going to your wallet and getting your credit card and then signing up on the website and subscribing to the members-only podcast feed. Put that towards surprising someone else in your life with an act of grace this week. You know, see what happens. See if Maybe you're inspired to do it again. Thanks to all of you for joining us on this journey. And now, here's Victoria with an exercise to help us all breathe into abundance.
So maybe it's just the inhale and the exhale and, and treating it like it's the most extraordinary opportunity we have to be filled, to be nourished, to be freed, and to pass it on because it takes more energy to hold it than to share it. So if you will, for a moment, let yourself really drop into your chair. If you're driving in the car, great, just keep your eyes open. <laughs> but rest in. And one of the ways for us to see how that might be a little bit of a journey is to squeeze yourself up. Just make yourself tight all the way up like you're zipping up from your bottom up to your nose, like squeezing all that in. And then with the exhale, letting it flow and letting you fill the space that's yours to fill. So you can feel your butt on the chair, you can feel your feet in the floor, you can feel the weight of your palms on your belly or your knees or wherever you are. Or if you're lying down, you can feel the pillow behind you, that you come into sensation and luxuriate in it. Come out of the chatter in the head and enter the restoration of the body, of those cells. What if I was 1% more available to being nourished? What would that look like? What would that feel like? Thank you. And what if I was 1% more available to breathing out nourishment to everyone, everywhere, and just sending it on out. What would that look like? And what would that feel like? This is a state of ease that is available to us in every moment, if we choose. So I think my final words would be, don't settle for less. 